listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Well, I, you know, I threw this topic out when we were doing the brainstorming and being a former CMO, I wanted to talk about what a pain in the ass it is to work with. <laughs> That's just because you always hired horrible agencies. Right. And, and that was your pushback, although I disagree with you, but you're right in some cases. And you're like, no, you're, you're thinking about this all wrong, Jeff. It's about hiring for inputs or outcomes. And I thought to myself, you're exactly right. That just nailed it. So we're going to talk about that today. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's a couple of industry consultants to, to the agency world that I read and follow. And I got a newsletter from one of those guys yesterday. And the gist of his article was sort of about value creation. And the, the central premise of the article is that that a lot of agencies have fallen into a, a trap of delivering to the scope of work so that the client defines a scope of work, the agency delivers against the scope of work, and the agency feels great that they did everything the client asked and the client is disappointed because they didn't get the outcomes they wanted. And his argument was this is a missed opportunity for a lot of agencies because the agency is having the wrong conversation. The agency is asking a, a whole bunch of clarifying questions about the scope of work that the client has, has preordained instead of asking the questions that are questioning whether or not the scope of work is the right one. So going upstream and saying, whoa, whoa, whoa time out, you know, you want to build this website or you want to launch this campaign or you want to do whatever it is you want to do. But let's take a step back and look at the, the underlying thoughts that you have that led you to believe that this is the solution. And the gist of my thoughts on this is that I, my, my sense is that there's just a lot of agencies that either A, aren't comfortable having those conversations, B, don't know how to have those conversations. And then, of course, there's a whole lot of clients that aren't opening the door to those conversations. You know, So they're just kind of hiding behind the vest and saying, no, I figured this all out. You just go do it. And I don't think in either scenario, that's a healthy agency-client relationship. You know, the agency needs to be comfortable asking those value-type questions, and the client needs to be comfortable answering them. And if those two things aren't happening then you are setting up a recipe for disaster in which the client has a set of desired outcomes. They've hired a collection of inputs and they're frustrated when the outcomes don't come and they blame the agency. The agency, you, you messed up. You didn't deliver the outcomes I wanted, even though I never told you what they really were. Follow me? I follow you exactly. Why is that happening? That's a, such an awesome question. That, that actually might be the most insightful question you've ever asked on this podcast. <laughs> I, I don't know if I entirely know, but my sense is that somewhere along the line, the relationship between agencies and clients just sort of broke down. And some of it is probably driven by, I don't know, let's hypothesize a couple of things. One is I think agencies lost their status as trusted advisor to a lot of their clients. And that's probably a little bit of their own doing. You've expressed the, the feeling that there's a lot of agencies and we've seen these agencies in our client relationships that go in with an agenda to sort of push sell solutions to non-existent problems. So that's how you lose your trusted advisor status is when you're going in there and saying, Mr. Client, you need to go cut all these videos over here 
when there's no des, you know design problem statement for those videos being needed, right? Whatever the tactic is. And I think a lot of agencies fell into that trap over the last decade. And so agencies probably got themselves out of the trusted advisor seat on some level. My sense is there's a cultural issue too. This is, this is a deeper issue, right? Step back for a second. Think about the rise of the spreadsheet over the last decade and what happened to the relationship between clients and agencies. All of a sudden, clients sort of were buying agencies by the pound and they were really trying to hyper measure the cost of the inputs they were getting. I remember we had a client, we laughed. They literally, this was back in the, in the print days when we were designing a lot of literature for this client. And this client, he literally calculated how many pages went into every single thing that we produced for them and the cost of what it was to deliver and calculated a per page cost for our work. And then said, well, we think this is how you should price. Now, the funny thing was, is he's dictating this. And this is how he did it. I'm not, this is entirely true. This entirely happened. Mm-hmm. And, and the funny thing was, is it actually became much, then all of a sudden we said, well, okay, we'll price that way. We ended up charging him even more. And it made absolutely no sense. And as you know, there's just no rationale there. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the work we were doing should never have been measured on that metric. It should have been measured based on the value we're creating for them, right? Well, that's a productivity school metric, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I I, I hypothesize there's at least those two, right? Agencies earn their way out of trusted advisor status. There was sort of a cultural shift in the business world where I hypothesize it's the rise of the spreadsheet where we kind of got into this hyper space of we have to track and measure everything. You know, you, you talked about when we set this podcast up, the notion that you got so tired of agencies talking to you about hours they build or whatever. I know it's hard to believe, but there was a time when when tracking time was difficult and you couldn't really track time all that well. And agencies at that point in time, I'm imagining, probably didn't bill based on time, did they? They built on some entirely different metric. But then somewhere along the line, the, you know, the bean counters came in and said, no, 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 we got to track every, every last minute of your day and we have to you know, job cost that and then we have to drive a price and that's ridiculous. I haven't had a conversation with a client about hours in over a decade, longer probably. We, we got off that and early 2000s. We're not having that conversation. That's that's a total waste of time. Mm-hmm. You don't care how many hours I got in this. You shouldn't. You should only care if I'm delivering on what you want, you know, the, the outcomes. It's all you should or care about. Inputs. Yeah. If you wanted to, if, if, if I let you buy the inputs or you chose to buy the inputs, yeah. then you should only care about us completing the inputs you requested. You hit on some really good points. I'd throw a couple of others in there from a buyer's perspective, from a CMO's perspective. And I wrote a blog post on this a while ago entitled, Are You Building the Brand You Really Want? And that ultimately firms fall into one of three categories. Either you're an order taker, an order maker, or a dinner party host. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear what these mean. (laughs) So the order taker is the firms that take orders, right? I want this input. Get me this input. And those... I think fell into that because it's easy. They were probably hyper specialized in a given function or discipline. And they were go-to people for, I need this video. I need, you know, this piece of collateral. I need this very specific tactical thing that fell out from a much higher perspective. So specialization led to part of this problem, I think. The order makers, you know, the McKinsey's, the Accenture's of the world, they're setting the tone and the strategic direction for the industry. And they're out there 
sharing points of view and they come in and they say, we're the experts here. Do it our way or you're an idiot, (laughs) you know, (laughs) to some degree. And then the dinner party hosts are those firms that invite their clients to be guests in their home and they collaborate and they converse around a dinner table as they're breaking bread. And that's a totally unique to those polar opposites. A lot of firms think they're dinner party hosts, but they're really order takers or they're dinner hosts and, you know, they're just buying stuff from the grocery store and taking the plastic off it and serving it up instead of, you know, really creating something special. But anyway, they're dinner party hosts that are hosting horrible dinners. Yes. Yes. I love those three, by the way. I layered on the order taker is the doer. The order maker is the advisor and the dinner party host is the collaborator. Yes. At least that's what I kind of took away. And I want to layer on, a, you know, your, your original question of, of why, why did this happen? You know, meaning that why did agencies find themselves in a situation of, and I want to get off agencies in a few minutes, in a situation of, of not creating value and, and sort of, you know, working against the inputs. My hypothesis would be, and you hit on this, is that there was a period in time when it was pretty easy to be a highly profitable firm as an order taker. The client tells you what to do, you did it, and you made good money. Mm-hmm. And then the bean counters came in, and that's my spreadsheet analogy. And all of a sudden, that got exposed. And and all those firms that were order takers, all of a sudden, weren't making much money anymore. And now, all of a sudden, they wanted to be, they tried to become order makers. They, they realized they had to become order makers, but they really weren't sure how to do it. And they've kind of stumbled and struggled through that. And I'm sure... All of us have. I mean, you know, I've ever kind of tried to make that transition. Yeah. And that's particularly evident if you're dealing with large corporate procurement functions or lower level buyer that has to justify, you know, some budget spend. So I get that. So I think that's one dimension of what's causing this. Your other point about agencies and kind of expand that to professional services firms. So it's applicable there as well, because we're kind of we're kind of talking to marketing leaders and how they can more effectively work with agencies. But we're also talking to practice leaders who want to be order makers or dinner hosts and work more effectively with their clients here as well. Yeah, I, that was, you read my mind. That was the analogy. That was what I was thinking too, was that, yeah, we're talking about the agency client relationship, but I, my sense is that this, this is true for all firms or, or have had these issues where they where they fall into this trap of the client dictating inputs and them just going along and saying, yeah, let's do that without having a deeper, a deep enough conversation about, wait a minute, what are we trying to do here? And as a CMO, this is one of the things. I always had difficulty with when an agency came in or I I invited them in to have a conversation about an input or an outcome, let's call it an engagement. My perception of them as a order taker, order maker, or a dinner host dictates my approach to them. Mm. So I have a preconceived notion to them. It's not to say that they can't alter that, but I've reached that conclusion based on interactions with, you know, their intellectual capital, their people, peers that have worked with them. There's a whole lot of inputs that are shaping my perspective of who they are and what they're capable of doing. That's not to say 
that they can't shift that in an interaction. But to your point where you said either the agencies don't want to have that conversation, don't know how to have it, or are not capable of having it. One of the things that I just hated as a CMO is when I would bring an agency in for what I considered an input, and they want to go back and rethink my entire strategy or (laughs) need me to explain it in detail so that they might possibly be able to add value. I don't want to do that. I don't want to take my time to educate an agency. If they can't ask me the right questions and or, and this is probably more important, do your homework before you come and visit me. Do you know my industry? Do you know my firm? Do you know what my firm's been up against? Can you read strategically what you see the firm doing and directionally tell where we're going? And then you can ask one or two, three quick questions and know fairly quickly whether or not this needs to be an input or an outcome. I think other ways firms think, well, let's do this input really well on this first project, and then we'll earn the right to do some outcomes type of engagements down the road. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. I guess there's some gray area there. But I'd like to get your thoughts from an agency perspective on on what I just said. Well, it's really there's multiple layers of that. Let me try to unpack them a little bit. So, <laughs> Jason, you say that every time I answer. <laughs> there are so many layers there. There's so no, many I, questions to that. I have to ask simpler questions. No, I'm teasing. Well, I see a couple of layers to that. So, so layer number one is that if you're inviting an agency in the door to have a conversation with them, and the inkling at the beginning is that from your standpoint is... I've already figured this all out and I just need you to go execute on it. Then for the expert agency, you're not a very good client, right? The the expert agency is going to say, well, we don't really want doer engagements where we're just your hands. We want to be your advisor. So the order maker agency is going to just sort of reject that and say, well, we're not really interested in this engagement, right? Mm -hmm. If the agency is asking incoherent questions or questions that don't demonstrate that they've, they've done homework on your business or done their homework to be eligible at the table, that also roots up to a positioning issue, right? Meaning that if they can't ask you good, intelligent questions, then haven't found an agency that's well-positioned that really understands the niche in which you're asking them to work with you, right? I would argue that my goal would be for our agency would be that when the client comes to the table to have a conversation with us, we should know the category in which they operate or the nature of, because because we work so narrowly in professional services firms, the nature of their practice so well that without me doing any homework, I should be able to come in and ask a handful of questions that get them thinking in ways they haven't thought before. And that is true of 90% of the time, right? Spot on. Yes. So, I like where you're going. I like where you're going. My sense is that the agencies that you invite into that conversation in that way, and, then, and they want to go back upstream against those things, are just not well positioned, Right. They're, they're generalists, and now they're in a situation where they're trying to understand. They've been tossed into an ocean, and they've got a paddle, and they're trying to figure out how to find shore and be relevant, and they're just not relevant in the moment. Now, I would also kind of a little bit put it back on you in the sense that, you know, just, and I hinted at this a little earlier, I'm not so sure that any great agency wants a client that doesn't want to have a deep and meaningful conversation about their strategy. So you're 
probably, if, if that's how you were behaving, if you were coming to the door saying, you know, I don't want to tell you about my strategy. I don't have the time to educate you. What you're saying, that's, that's somewhat arrogant, right? You know, to some extent, you're, what you're saying is you're not smart enough, Mr. Agency, to have expert guidance here that I need or value. And you're probably missing opportunities for a good agency to add value with that mindset. So I don't, you don't strike me as the person that would be that way. So my sense is that there's, 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 that's why I said there's layers, right? Layer number one is you might be inviting in the wrong agencies. Layer number two is they're not well positioned, hence they're not sure what questions to ask, or they're asking the wrong questions and aren't getting to the heart of the issues that you want or getting to get you to think differently. And layer three might be, well, are you really hiring agencies the right way? with the right expectations. Now, all that said, I say all that, and I'm being criticizing you. I don't mean it that way, but there's certainly instances where it makes a whole lot of sense to hire an order maker, right? You know, to say, I just need this done quickly. And I don't, I don't need you to think, I just need you to come in and do it. And there's a market for that. And that's totally fine. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And you're fast becoming behind my wife, the person that helps clean up my verbal messes. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way, but I did. No, I did. no, but you're you're right, and maybe there is a tinge of of arrogance in my voice. That was not my intention. But no, I know it's not, and that's why you, what I you said. Raise, I like, oh. You raise a good point, and I think I say it. I feel like I can tell somebody that is a business thinker and an agency that delivers outcomes, not just inputs. There's a certain language that consultants use that is is highly technical, highly discipline oriented. And then there's a language that business people use that is focused on outcomes, business outcomes outside of a specific business functionality. Whether you're a CMO, a CFO, a CIO, a CSO, there's certain language that exists within those silos, but the business outcomes seldom are discussed within those silos. Those, the, the business outcomes are revenue, cost, risk, profit, growth, expansion. Yeah. Yeah. You're, it cuts across all the silos and and you want the T shaped individuals, right? That, that are deep in that silo, but then can cut across. Right. And I think it's the depth of the business understanding that separates the the outcomes and the inputs. It's the consultants, the agencies that are deep in the input silos, the functional perspective, feigning to be business thinkers that I have trouble with. And that's that's the delineation. So you're spot on in in what you were saying. So maybe that is a little arrogant there, but that's where I think agencies and professional services firms who always desire to kind of move upstream in terms of buyers really need to to change and they don't think exactly how they're they're impacting those types of things. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal. Divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy Prudent Pedal. 
If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. So what I think would be useful, let's get into some specific examples of outcomes versus inputs in the world of agencies. And you kind of alluded to a conversation from another newsletter that you had read, but let's let's get into that. And, and maybe we can talk about, well, here's how I would think about it from an agency. And I'll say, well, here's how I would think about it from a CMO perspective and see if we can and reconcile those and give people listening something of real value. Yeah, no, it's, that's a great way to look at it. I mean, I'll start with maybe the obvious one that we get fairly frequently. We're not, not as much as we used to it. This is less and less. Well, first off, I mean, there's a couple letters here, but a client writes an RFP. So that's, that's probably, you know, no, no, number one, right? That's how they're starting off a business relationship tells you that they are looking for an order taker not an order maker, which mm-hmm. is already a cultural disconnect for our agency anyway. Mm-hmm. So it means we're not going to be well aligned with them. And the RFP says we want to build a website. You know, you, you and I have this on our topical list. You know, do you need a hundred thousand dollar website is one of our topics that we've, we've bantered around maybe talking about. Well, so the input, I guess, would be we need a website. The outcomes are, of course, all the questions around why do you need a website? Why do you need to change the website you have? What are you trying to accomplish as a business? What do you think this is going to do for you? And what are you going to do with the website once it's built so that it gets you to the outcomes you want? And that's the conversation that they need to be having. A lot of times they're not having it at all internally. That conversation isn't even being had. And then if the agency opens the conversation, then they're shocked. Now, in terms of specifics for listeners, I mean, the specifics I can think of is if you just look at the objectives of the design, right? When the objectives are business oriented, they are, well, we'd like to increase our visibility on these, you know, these topics. We'd like to generate these amount of leads that we can turn into conversations and new revenue for these practice areas. And those are good, healthy business objectives, I would argue. More typical stated objectives on, on redesigns are things like, well, we need to be mobile friendly. We need to have this functionality on our thought leadership pages. We need to have this functionality on our people pages, right? So they're sort of defining all the kind of little nuances that need to go into the site. And that's good. And it needs to be done eventually. But those aren't objectives. Those are tasks to be done. Mm -hmm. So when I think about outcomes versus inputs, that's the things I see. And a lot of times when the marketer shows up with that RFP and we actually do get into a dialogue with them, which I mean, I'll be up in front saying we haven't really responded to an RFP in so long, I couldn't even tell you. But that's the conversation we'll have. Say, okay, this is nice. You've you've put some good thought into what you'd like this website to functionally do. Now let's talk about what it's going to do for your business. Why are you doing this? Why are you spending any money at all on this? What's the business case for this investment? What do you want to get out of it? Mm-hmm. And a telltale sign of a of a client that wants to buy an order. <laughs> I'm getting them confused in my head. An order taker is one that can't answer those questions or is not comfortable having that conversation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then there's a cultural disconnect, and that's probably okay, you know, for the two to part ways for the client to say, "Well, you know, I want a taker, not a maker," and the agency say, "Well, we're an order maker, not a taker," and so we're going to go our separate ways and shake hands and say good luck, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's explore other examples. Is that, is that what you were looking for, by the way? I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> I lost track. You know, any great consulting firm does not want to come in and be dictated to and told what to do, right? L.E.K., McKinsey, I'm not going to come in the door and let the client tell them what should be done ever. And the same holds true for any great agency, 
right? No great agency is going to come in and just let the client say, well, I've done this a million times. Let me tell you what to do. I mean, any great agency is going to come in and say, well, no, let me give you some advice on how to go about this. And, 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 and to your point, they may be a, a, an order maker or they may be your dinner party host. Maybe they, they're, they're one of those two different genres. But, you know, there is no great agency that wants to be in an order maker function. Order taker. Me, order taker. Thank you. I'm having mm-hmm. a hard time with this. And so whenever you put them in that scenario, you're, you're basically putting them in a situation where they cannot do their best work. And they, they and they're just not going to do their best work. You know, we had a client, and I'll tell this story briefly. That well, there's two stories I'd like to tell real fast, and I'll try to tell them quickly. So the first story is, and I, in hindsight now, I recognize why this is. Big engineering firm, one of the top 500 in the country or whatever, calls us in, and I start asking a whole bunch of questions. And the owner kind of looks at me and says, well, "Why are you asking me these questions?" And he he says, "You sound like a management consultant, not like an agency." And right there, I should have known that there was, there was a cultural disconnect. Well, I knew there was a cultural disconnect from our firm. We never have worked together and I doubt we ever would because all he was really looking for, he would constantly send me these inquiries. You know, can you help us with our proposal templates? Can you help us with proposal training? No, 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 I cannot do those things. I have no desire to do those things. It's not what we do for a living. But that was marketing to him and he had a really hard time seeing anything else. So there's a, there's a cultural disconnect at the start between how the agency sees themselves and how the client sees themselves. And I think that, you know, it's best when to part ways when that's the scenario. And I've never let that client in the door, right? The second instance I'll tell you is about a client that I did let in the door that had brought us in to help them really drive this massive content engine that they built that where they had built out nurture streams, you know, giant spreadsheets, seven layers deep. They've defined every single content asset that pushes to everything and they need someone to kind of build all this content around it. And so I said, I let him in the door. And I said, yeah. And I did exactly what you said. I mean, we'll go in as, a, as an order taker and see if we can't you know, migrate our way into a, maybe a, an order maker in some way, shape, or form. Definitely did not work. And the interesting thing was, is when the client hires that way, they hire the order taker. What they usually say is they make a bunch of instances that where they want order maker stuff. Well, come in, I want you to do, you know, to, to execute, you know, do all this stuff that's that's already been predefined. But if you see anything that's wrong, tell us what it is. Well, that, that's really actually a very unrealistic expectation because you're not actually giving them real permission to look at what you're doing and say it's not working. And the funny thing was that particular client even said from the beginning, this isn't working. We're struggling. We found you guys because you guys are experts at this. And then they said, but we want to hire you as an order taker. Now, the mistake I made is I let them do it. And of course, we did the project. It went well. They had success. And we mutually walked away because they wanted to hire a vendor. They called their agency's vendors, red flag. And that's not how we operate as an agency. I think all of these analogies hold true for both of our clients. I mean, most professional services firms face these these dichotomies, clients that want to be in control and dictate what firm is doing and firms that are saying, well, no, time out. We have expertise and we need to bring it to bear. And so there's a push-pull there that plays out in every relationship, I would imagine. And you have to know when it makes sense to part ways before the relationship happens. It's just not going to work out if how the firm sees themselves is different than how the client sees the firm they want to partner with. Let's jump in with another example is when a firm comes to us and they want to rebrand. And, and rebrand normally has, you know, this this one path of design me a logo and a color palette and a brand identity, i.e. order taker, or reposition my firm strategically based on market research. The rebrand 
requires both of those, but which one are you being asked to do? Yeah. The interesting thing about that comment is that when that does come to the table, often what I've seen historically is that sometimes the firm doesn't, they're asking for that logo story you described, but they think it's the remedy to the other problem. Yes. Right. Oh, and that's where the disconnect is. Mm -hmm. Well, if we just, if we just re, you know, repackage this thing, all of a sudden, all of our problems are going to go away. (laughs) And no, probably not. Now you, you may still need to repackage. You, you may, you know, just because the value proposition is broken and, and you're, you're not clear on where you compete anymore and you're not clear on what your point of view is and all those things need to be sorted out. You may still have a massive visual problem on your hands that needs to be completely repackaged and that's fine. But let's not think that one is an answer to the other. Yeah, that happens frequently. And that's kind of a symptom of something we just, we touched on earlier, right? Just that notion of, I have explored this problem at great depth in my mind, and I think I've come to the solution. And now, Mr. Agency, I need you to execute the input. Mm-hmm. And you know, a good agency would say, whoa, 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 whoa slow down. I'm not so sure your input's actually going to solve the problem you de- de- defined. Uh, there's an agency owner. I don't even know him. But this, name, this, this quote's been bannered around for a while. He likes to say, you can't read the label from inside the jar. And I love that quote. That, that's sort of a typical thing that I see clients do all the time. You know, they sort of self-diagnose a problem. And then when, you, when we really get into it, we're like, that's not really the problem. The problem is usually something different. You know, when it comes to problem diagnosis, I would argue almost all clients are usually wrong. And that's any professional services firm that works with us, any of their clients that work with them. That's just a, you know, it's the opposite of retail. The customer is not always right. The client is usually wrong as it relates to problem definition. So. What that means, and what a great point to end on, is one, you have to be exceptional at qualifying opportunities. Is this one consistent with your ideal client? Yes or no. And if it's not, you need to walk away because there's a misalignment between the value that you offer and the value expected. If They are aligned. They are your ideal client and appreciate your value. The second thing that has to be done is you have to be very clear on the scope of the work or probably more accurately, the nature of the work. And I I, I would argue before that you need to be really clear on the, the desired outcomes that supersedes the nature and the scope to me. Fair enough. I think the scope can be pliable, meaning that if we're in agreement on what your desired outcomes are, the scope, if you do this right, the scope, it can be fluid. The scope can change on the fly to be nimble and get you to your outcomes you want. In fact, that would be the ideal agency client contractual model to the extent it's, it's feasible is to, is to agree on the desired outcomes, contract around the desired outcomes, and then let the scope be fluid enough to enable both partners to get there. I think you articulated that beautifully. My third one was outcomes. How are we going to measure success? But rearranging those, I love that because that's the way Prudent Pedal does all its stuff. We very seldom work off a deliverable. It's an outcome. And because we're operating at a C-level and professional services, you know, are immersed in the BS of PS. The scope changes very quickly when you're having these strategic decisions being made or strategic discussions being made. Oftentimes, there's a breakthrough, whether it's a breakthrough in 
business strategy generally in terms of market opportunities, or it's a cultural breakthrough that somebody's finally addressed that BS and PS taboo that exists in that firm. And now there's the freedom and the momentum to go in a different direction. And I've had several clients where where we've come in and we've been asked to do maybe value proposition development or sales enablement. And in the process of that, we realize that the business strategy is off and that the market they're actually going after is not going to be profitable. It's not aligned with their solutions. And there's another strategic direction that really needs to be pursued. Well, that changes the whole scope of work right yeah. then and there. So, yeah. So the, so the qualification, the outcomes, and then not just a static scope, but a very dynamic scope and your firm and your billing needs to be structured in order to address and adapt to that dynamism. Enable all that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Let's wrap there. Great dialogue. I really enjoyed it. I hope the listeners get as much out of it as I did. So thanks for the time, Jeff. See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.